0: Radioinfluence.com.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Live Bold and Boss Up. Steph and I are here and we chat with our favorite Army officer, Major General Clay Huttmacher. He is amazing, right? He's just an amazing individual. I love chatting with him.
2: Very humble, great stories. You could talk to him for hours.
1: Literally hours. Um, We just have a snapshot for you here. If you ever get a chance to meet him in person, though, um, highly suggest talking with him and meeting him. But he gives us tips on this episode of Leadership, Um, We talk about his um, special operations warrior foundation that he's president and CEO of. And um, we talk about his background. He was a high school dropout and he went all the way to a major general. So Mm -hmm, really amazing story. So enjoy guys. You're the most humble general I've ever seen, and you're our favorite, by the way.
0: (laughs) I shouldn't ask how many generals you have, no, but you have- (laughs) A ton. A whole list. You're an army of one. Yeah.
2: So tell us about the event, or not the event, but the foundation. It's a Special Operations Warrior Foundation. Correct. Tell us a little bit about it.
0: Okay. It was started uh, April 24th, 1980 in the aftermath of the failed rescue attempt of 52 Americans held in Tehran. That rescue attempt ended in disaster and tragedy at a place called Desert One, which is a a refueling site in the middle of the desert En route, you know, to uh, to rescue those 52 Americans. Two aircraft collided on the ground, a C-130 and a helicopter, and it took the lives of eight Americans, three Marines, five airmen who left behind 17 children. So the, the other members of that hostage rescue task force made a personal commitment to fund the education of those 17 children. And that's how the foundation started, uh, started. a battlefield promise, if you will. And it continues today. Uh, we currently are committed to funding just under 1,000 children. I was on the phone um, with, a, with a unit last night that just lost a uh, major this week and left behind three kids. So those numbers continue to go up. People think it's a college scholarship program, but it's much more than that. Uh, if you, and if you think about it, it makes sense because of what these kids have been through. They've lost a parent in a very traumatic way. Most likely they're in a single parent home. So our approach of what we call it internally is cradle to career. So we fund preschool. We fund unlimited tutoring. We provide tuition assistance for private school. We have mentoring programs. We have a college prep program that we run. University of Tampa donates dorm space and dorm rooms for us um, to use. And it's, it's all about financial management, study skills, you know, things you should consider for picking a major in a school, how to write your essay, and a lot of team building. And a really cool thing about it is the mentors for that program are graduates. So they are kids that have had, you know, obviously a very similar life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we fund whatever post secondary education they decide you know we have a young lady who wanted to be a firefighter so all she did was all she wanted to do was go through all those courses to be a firefighter and she's a firefighter in pinehurst north carolina we have others that go to ivy league schools and it does, we put no restrictions on that We want them to pursue their dreams and reach their full potential. We fund uh, study abroad. We think that's an important life experience for the kids. And we're big on internships. We really want them to do internships. I have three sons, um, and internships were key for them. And, you know, we have a, dis- a program for children, specifically for children with disabilities. And, uh, and I'm very, very proud of that program. We have about 40 kids in there. Some will never go to, you know, to college. Mm-hmm. But some will. And we're committed to them with the same amount of resources that our that kids that are in what I would call our traditional education uh, pipeline. I
1: didn't realize you had that special oh, section. Yeah. I feel like when we chatted, I just, I guess I kind of assumed like the normal traditional pattern, but that's great that there's like a special needs.
0: Well, and it's very flexible and I'm the approval authority for what we do. And I'll give you an example. We had a, uh, a young man who's severely autistic when COVID hit, um, they shut down the schools and change was very difficult for him, which I, and I'm not obviously have a medical background there, but my understanding is that autistic children struggle with change. Right. So she his his mother um called us and was you know really struggling with what to do and our counselors together with her came up with a plan so we Turned her basement into his classroom. We replicated his classroom in the basement. We put desks in there. We painted it. We put everything in there. And then we uh, paid for the tutor, a tutor, to come in and teach him in his basement. So she sent us a picture of him with his backpack on going out the front door. And then he walks around (laughs) and goes into the uh, basement and he goes to school.
1: How creative, too. Right. So that's our
0: flexibility. I think that's a good example of our flexibility. It's whatever they need, right. right? It's not traditional, well, we'll only fund this, we'll only fund that. No, the board has given me authority to meet each need specifically. So I'm really fired up about that. And and our graduation rates and our college attendance, rate, uh, college attendance rates are at least 15% above the national average. And when you think about that, these are kids that have suffered a traumatic event, They're likely in a single parent home for them to, you know, have that level of success, I believe validates this, this cradle to career approach we have for the kids. And then in 20, last thing I'll add is in, or two last things, if you don't mind, in 2020, we expanded our eligibility from just special operations personnel, the children of special operations personnel lost in the line of duty. To the children of all Medal of Honor recipients, not just special ops, but living and deceased Medal of Honor recipients. We're currently at 43 kids there, and we do provide immediate financial support to severely wounded, ill, or injured special ops personnel. So we'll overnight them a 5K check, and then recently we've been doing an iPad because of COVID so they can communicate with their families from from the hospital. So wow. that's, that's us. And I'm proud to be a part of it. I've been doing it for three and a half years and uh, it's pretty easy to come to work every day.
2: Yeah, yeah I'm sure. No, that's, that is amazing. And I look forward to the event and hearing, are you going to have like speakers? Yep,
0: after? General Stan is going to be there. I was just on the phone with him before I walked <laughs> up here. <laughs> And I struggled with trying. He said, don't call me sir, call me Stan, which was an unnatural <laughs> act. And so, you know, I said, I'll try. I'll say it real slow. Um, yeah. But he's a great guy. He really influenced my life as a leader. Uh, I mean, I was very fortunate to serve under him. And, you know, the whole host of them, Admiral Bill McRaven, General Tony Thomas, uh, General Ken Tovo, many of them that really helped me develop as a leader. Uh, in the military, and, uh, and it's made me a better person for sure. So I'm really happy that he's coming down, yes. and I think you'll really enjoy I hearing look him speak.
2: So, you have a very untraditional background on how you got to where you are today. I want you to share with the listeners your background because I just think it's amazing right. and I mean, inspirational, really. Yeah. inspirational, right? Yeah.
0: Well, so I joined the uh, I joined the Marines. I started out as a Marine.
1: Wait, but before that, you dropped out of high
0: school. I did. Yeah, I was dropped out of high school. I was living in a foster home, Um, a very loving family. That actually, their son was killed in a motorcycle accident. Was my classmate in high school. And they took me in and they, you know, the Williams family, and I'm still in contact uh, with uh, with Doris Williams and she took great care of me. And but I knew that I needed in military terms an azimuth correction. I needed, (laughs) you know, I needed some motivation. So I figured I'd jump in the deep end of the pool and join the Marines. So at 17 years old, I I joined up. And uh, initially, I would tell you that I thought it was the worst decision I had ever made. I mean, they weren't exactly giving me that loving embrace when I got off the (laughs) bus, you know. Some yellow footprints and some... Some up close and personal, but not necessarily in an affectionate way. So, but, you know, I got through that and uh, I was in the Marines for six and a half years. And along the way, I learned that the Army had a flight school program. And I, you know, I went back and got my high school diploma. I was going to college at night, you know, when I wasn't working. And so I applied for the flight program for the Army. It was, you know, difficult to get through it uh, just because of the different services and everything like that. But in May of 84, I left the Marine Corps and got on a bus and ended up in Fort Rucker, Alabama at Army Flight School and graduated a year later as a Blackhawk pilot.
1: Right. Very cool.
0: And loved it. Went to the 101st Airborne. And then... I decided—I was a warrant officer at that time, which is different than a commissioned officer. Much, warrant officers are much more technically focused. and They don't normally command. And I missed that the leadership aspect of serving, which I had as a non-commissioned officer in the Marines. So I decided to go to Officer Canada School— <laughs> and I went to Fort Benning Georgia in fact you know I'm fond of saying I've had my head shaved more times than most other people in the military <laughs> with all those different you know uh, courses and uh, while I when I was getting ready to graduate from Officer Candidate School I reached out to the Special Ops Aviation Community, the unit, which is now known as the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. At the time, it was very secretive and um, and asked them if they'd give me a try. So they put me through their assessment selection, and I went there uh, as a young lieutenant out of flight sc- or out of Officer Canada School, and I basically stayed in the Special Ops Community for the next, like, 14 years. And then I went to command a conventional aviation battalion in Germany and went right back to the special ops community and served the rest of my time. And along the way, they decided to promote me to general, which remains a mystery to some, I suspect, (laughs) to this day. And then I ended my career here at McDill Air Force Base at uh, SOCOM as the director of operations, uh, also known as the J-3. And when I retired, um, Vice Admiral Joe McGuire was the president and CEO of the Special Ops Warrior Foundation. He left. He he had been offered a job in the administration, so he went to D.C. and I uh, took over for him in September of 2018, and I've been there ever since.
2: Wow, I feel like you're just a natural born leader. Like, do you feel like that's something that is innate within you, or that you've learned? Throughout your upbringing,
0: definitely learned. I, you know, I mean, I think there's people that probably would disagree with this, but I believe that leadership is a learned experience, and you're never done learning. Um, you know, because it, it, it it's a different skill set based on the size and complexity of the organization, um, the type of the demographics you're dealing with. You know, when I when was a leader in the special ops aviation community. I mean, I had the best of the best, you know, of pilots. I mean, it's very difficult to get into that, uh, into, into the special ops world, both as an aviator and as a, uh, a ground operator. And it was a different management technique than maybe dealing with 18-year-olds that were, you know, just joining the service. Uh, and now that I've, you know, gotten out of the military, now I'm leading an organization, which we have some veterans in there, but a lot of civilians. And that was different. It was different for me, you know, not that everybody in the military does everything you say when you say to do it. I mean, people think that, but it's not true, <laughs> um, you know, uh, but, but I, you know, I, I felt, I feel that leadership is something that you're never an expert at you. Sh- if you think you are, you're probably, you know you know, disillusioning yourself. But I, I believe that you continue to learn. I learn stuff every day and I screw up routinely in my own mind. People probably don't notice it, but in my mind, I'll, you know, hash it out and say, well, I wish I would have said this instead of that, or I would have handled it this way. But I, and I find that leadership is, pardon me, is both simple Very simple and very complex. Very simple in that people respond to positive feedback generally, you know, but also complex because, you know, different backgrounds and everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, it's been the most rewarding thing that I've done in my service. I mean, I love flying. Don't get me wrong. Um, You know, I'm a stick wiggler at heart there, but, (laughs) um, but, you know, leading and having a positive impact on those that you serve with is by far the most rewarding thing in my professional life. Obviously being a husband and a parent is on a personal side. Is, yeah, right.
1: is there any leadership like I don't know, recommendations or like examples of something that you could share? I know earlier <laughs> you said, <laughs> well, I could tell you what not to do. <laughs> yeah, as a leader. yeah, I can expert on what not to do
0: <laughs> Give uh, us some
1: tips on leadership.
0: Well, I I think a couple things, some principles, I guess, first I would start out with, you know, I I think it's very important to remain humble. You know, um, I've seen leaders that get very full of themselves, people that get very full of themselves. And, you know, I'm not saying that I don't have an ego, but I believe that humility is, is a very important aspect of leadership. I think consistency is very important I don't know if you've ever had a boss where you didn't know what you were gonna get when you walked in the door yeah. you know you're like you think it's something just minor and it'll be no problem and you know he or she explodes and mm-hmm. and then you got something that you thinks catastrophic and they're you know based on their mood they're like God ah, not a problem I, I believe that you know being consistent as a leader uh, is very very important I um, I would also say some some techniques, you know, going from principles to techniques. I, whenever I'm recognizing someone in the military, I had the opportunity to promote and retire, you know, hundreds of people. And I always ask them to bring their family with them, right? No matter what, you know, how old we get, how successful we are. You know, we always want our parents to be proud of us. We always want our kids to be proud of us. And, and it's important, you know, and especially in the military that we recognize, um, publicly recognize the role of family, you know, and, and their support of their service member. But so and that applies to the civilian world, too. I mean, if you you know if, if someone in your office is getting promoted or getting an award, you know, I think it's great to have the family there. I think, you know, that person may not say it out loud, but I know he or she appreciates that.
1: I like that. I never thought of that, like from a, like a business standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Just taking military out of it. I never thought of doing a public promotion, right? It's always in front of your work family, but not your family family.
0: Right. And just, I think a good way to view it is think about how you would feel. Would you want your husband and your kids there when you get promoted you know, my family was always there when I got promoted. Um, so I believe in that. I'm also a big believer, and I got, you know, I have to give credit where credit is due. Stan McChrystal um, really uh, practiced this, and I've always uh, um, followed suit since, since I was serving under him is personal notes. So a handwritten note. You know, it's one thing to send an email. It's something else to send a handwritten note. Yes. I've adopted it into my current role as the president and CEO. So I write a handwritten note to every child that gets a 3.5 GPA or above Aww. every semester. Sure you know, because we want to encourage them. Hey, you know, that's, you know, that's the most important thing for us is student success. So, and our staff, if they go up, you know, above and beyond and they do something, I think it's important to recognize yeah. them. And, and you're sending a message into a handwritten note.
1: I, I, I love that. So we have to share what we're doing. We're do, we, so we're doing this new, I don't know, you could call it marketing or whatever, but we're kind of taking that on um, and having like personal notes, um, sending them out for all of our candidates that we place. Right. It's a candidate mm-hmm. experience
2: thing. Right. It's just more of that personal touch. Like yes. you said. Like we That is showing that you care a little bit more than just like sending an email.
0: Right. Right. You know, making that yeah. extra. And, you know, people tend to text, you know. Um, yeah. My oldest son, who probably, I hope doesn't listen to this podcast, he, <laughs> he, he, he was in middle school. He dated a girl and broke up with a girl all over text. I never even saw her. So I don't really? even know if, you know. I don't know what Th- it was. They just
1: had a, like a texting relationship. Yes, I mean, you
0: know, and I mean, I was like is, is that a relationship? Is that, you know. <laughs> so I believe that that personal touch is very important. The last thing and it doesn't apply to everyone, but if you're uh, if you're in a large complex organization, you know, I when I was commanding the 160th Special Ops Aviation Regiment, we had about 3,000 people they're geographically separated across the united states i had units in fort lewis washington i had units in savannah georgia my headquarters and a couple of units were in fort campbell kentucky just north of nashville and then we were in iraq and syria constantly or iraq syria afghanistan during that time with about a third of our force was deployed and then we were in south america we were all over the world <clears throat> so how do you how do you get your intent and your vision for the organization through all those layers of bureaucracy, right? I mean, you know, there was multiple layers. And uh, a pilot that I served with, Carl Meyer, said, and his wife, Cindy, had said, you know, it's great when you walk through the hangar. The young troop that's working on an aircraft, that's fixing it, whether it's battle damage or whatever, you know, when you stop and spend time with them, that really motivates them. So, you know, I I practiced that. I blocked out two hours a week. I didn't tell anybody where I was going. It wasn't an inspection. It was, you know, I wasn't going to criticize anyone because that changes the dynamic, right? If you go in, why do you have so many paper clips? And why are your posting notes not organized? So, you know, it's not about that. It's about, Talking to people, finding out ways you can help and what their issues are and and both. And then talking to them about their personal life. Does your, you know, does your wife like living in, you know, Clarksville, Tennessee? You know, Mm -hmm. some do, some don't. So, Mm -hmm. and I, and they really appreciated that. And I've always done that. Even today. I mean, I, we've only got, you know, 18 people in the foundation, but I get a cup of coffee and I walk around and talk to everybody every day and just touch base. Yeah. So I, those are some things that I think have been very helpful for me as a leader.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get a little personal now and Mm -hmm. you know, we'll keep it fun, but I'm just curious, what is like your most exciting story that you can share with us? And it can be yeah. anything,
0: hmm. but. exciting, scary, something yeah. in between, of the, yes, I'll I'll any of
2: the above.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I was in desert storm and we were flying, uh, our mission. We were out in Western, uh, Saudi Arabia and we were flying, uh, to take out the scud missiles that Saddam Hussein was shooting into Israel, right? That was our mission. I had, And don't tell me how old you were in 1991, because it's just going to depress me. But (laughs) we were alive. Okay, well, that's saying something. I'm pretty sure you weren't watching the news. So, you know, but Saddam Hussein was trying to break up the coalition, you know, and by bringing Israel into the war. So he was attacking Israel, Haifa and so on the ports and the Israelis, you know, they're not going to tolerate that. So we deployed over there as a special operations task force to to take out those Scud missiles that were being, the launchers, really. And we had some success. In fact, Mike Durant, one of my crew members, captured in Somalia, he's now running for U.S. Senate, mm-hmm. was on was there with me. Um, and so one night we were, before we went across into Iraq, we were doing a rehearsal, just sort of a, you know, in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> And we had landed in this objective, and we were coming out, and I had my head down um, you know, on the center console. The other guy was flying. so I was putting some coordinates That's good in to know.
1: I'm like yes yeah flying, somebody, yeah but on the computer with
0: yeah, him. yeah, yeah, so he was <laughs> he was flying, you know, we swap off about every fifteen minutes because it's very fatiguing over there flying in the desert. And the crew chief, I, my head's down, the crew chief yelled, check altitude. And, and I have a big screen in front of me with what we in aviation and the aviators, anybody who's an aviator listen to it would understand, is a radar altimeter, which is absolute altitude above the ground. So it's shooting a radar beam from the bottom of the aircraft to the ground. So when it says zero, it's zero. I mean, you're on the ground, which is unlike other altimeters. And, um I looked up under my night vision goggles, because this was in the middle of the night, and the, the display said zero, which mean we were crashing. So I reached over with one hand and pulled up on the collective just as we hit the ground right, and ripped yeah, the right. antennas off the bottom and wrecked the landing gear and clouded dust and sand <laughs> and flew out of there. I couldn't talk for about 30 seconds. I mean, I, was, I thought we were dead for sure. And uh, when I looked over at the other guy, who his responsibility was to make sure that we weren't flying into the ground like that. And I won't share the stream of expletives that led <laughs> into my question. But so that was pretty exciting. Um, very scary. Yeah, very scary. I flew a, a lot of combat missions in Iraq and in Syria or not Iraq and Afghanistan. Very, uh, very dangerous Um you know, it was interesting. Afghanistan, the terrain was really, really challenging. I mean, they don't call that place the rooftop of the world for nothing. I mean, it's, you know, the Hindu Kush mountains are right to there. And so the aircraft were right on the ragged edge. So we were very, you know, right just being able to even operate up there and support the guys on the ground was very difficult. The, in Iraq, it was completely different. It's You know, it's a little higher elevation than Tampa, but not much. And very flat. And you know, so the enemy was really who gave us a lot of fits there. But you know, um, I I spent a lot probably three and a half years total in combat during my time—and uh, and I was proud to do it. You know, yeah. proud to have that opportunity to serve.
1: Random question mm-hmm. for sure. you. I don't know if anyone else is wondering this, but what did you eat when you were over there? Oh,
0: well, it depended. So when we, in Af- you know, when we first got, when you first get into theater, when you're first in a combat zone, I mean, the usually the support behind you, you know, um, is slow. It doesn't, you know. So we ate MREs, meals ready to eat. Um And I was talking to a retired friend of mine who just led a bunch of kids on a hike, and he said they were, you know, he said they were eating MREs. And I started twitching in my car when I was talking to him. I was like, Oh God! (laughs) If I never see another one of those things, I'll be great. Um, So you eat these, you know, they're a plastic bag, and they're like five thousand calories because they're expecting you to burn a lot of calories in combat. And but then over time, you know, it gets a little better. Um, You know, so you eat. You know, they'll bring in food, chicken or whatever. Is it like, you know, what we're going to get at you know, Burn Steakhouse? Absolutely, not. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's definitely not that. So, um, but it's okay. I mean, you know, I I would do it all over again. I mean, I would go right back. I was you gonna know, ask you that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I'm a better person for it. You know. I've got a great family. I don't know, you know, my wife gets 100% of the credit for raising our kids. I mean, she was an Air Force. I flew with the Air Force Special Ops Command for about four years uh, in in, uh, Hurlburt Field up near Eglin Air Base in uh, northwest Florida. And she was an intelligence officer, and she sacrificed her career to stay home with our kids and you know and we had three sons which are very very successful we got one left in college at clemson and uh and she gets 100% of the credit for Aww. that she said you go off and play captain america gi <laughs> joe whatever you're doing i i got this uh, so
2: is that how y'all met yeah okay.
0: i she was uh she was the squadron intelligence officer for this air force squadron that i was flying with the 55th You know, my version is that she latched on to the only Army pilot in sight. She has a slightly different (laughs) i am sure recollection of how it went. Um, You know, a lot of groveling on my part and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I like
1: that. I can't wait to hear her side at the event. event. You're actually
0: not allowed to talk to her. (laughs) (laughs) No, she, uh, yeah, that's how we met. And then... Uh, I got stationed in Virginia, and then she got stationed there. But then what we saw is it was just with both of us serving. And I was in Bosnia going after a bunch of war criminals then. That was sort of the flavor of the the time, you know, that was the only mission we could get. It was like, you know, should have been two cops and a box of donuts, but it was (laughs) all all of us over there doing it, you know. Um, And she decided, hey, our kids aren't getting the attention they need. So she resigned her commission and stayed home. And then she ultimately went back and got her master's degree in education and taught. Uh, high school math up in North Carolina and then taught at Monroe and she's a tutor now.
1: Lucky kids to get her as a teacher.
0: Yes, she actually uh, was yeah. my youngest son's teacher, which I was okay. always curious. So do you call her mom? You call her Mrs. Hupmacher? Uh-huh. Or, you know, he said, oh, I don't call her anything. I tried, I tried. Yes, was, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all of my, we all call her yes, ma'am. So. <laughs>
2: well, thank you so much, Clay. It's been such a pleasure to have you here. I love... Every time that we talk, it's like you, your energy and your just passion is, I love. it's. Mm-hmm. You have a great energy.
0: Well, thank you. thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me. I know it's been a long time coming trying to adjust schedules, I but I really appreciate it. And I, I'm, I'm also grateful you guys are going to join us. Uh, at Palma, see you here in about a month.
1: Yeah, oh, looking forward to it. We'll put all the details in the show notes for how to get tickets and yep, when it is, where it is for everyone so they can join too.
0: Okay, sounds yeah. great. And
1: how they can donate or get involved. Or...
0: Sure, yeah, specialops.org is our website and it's it's pretty intuitive.
2: Awesome. Nice. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Clay. Thank you. I'm so glad you were here in Thanks.
0: person. Oh, well, I appreciate it.